You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. This episode of The Dish on Health IT features guest Kyle Kaiser, CEO of Arrive Health. He joins Point of Care Partners hosts and health IT leaders Pooja Babra and Jocelyn Keegan to discuss price transparency and real-time benefit check. This episode will also focus on user-centric design, optimizing adoption, and related policy and standards. We hope you find today's episode informative and helpful. If you have topic ideas you'd like us to cover in future episodes, be sure to share them with us by emailing us at podcast at pocp.com or tweeting us at pocphit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dish on Health IT, where we invite health IT leaders and trailblazers to break down and discuss some of health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones. We at Point of Care Partners are health IT consultants who work with stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem and are viewed as an independent, trusted party like Switzerland. I'm Pooja Babara, practice lead for pharmacy and PBM here at POCP, and I'm your host today. My colleague and co-host, Jocelyn Keegan, and I are so excited to welcome our guest, Kyle Kaiser, CEO of Arrive Health. And I have to say, I'm so excited to have Kyle here. As we were prepping for this session, I realized I think I've known Kyle and team for almost six years now, and I've watched the company grow and transform. So I'm thrilled that we have Kyle as our guest today. So we're going to be discussing price transparency more broadly and then focus a little more on real-time benefit checks. We're going to talk about the benefit of tools that allow for more visibility for providers and patients into coverage and price, and the key considerations when designing and rolling out new tools to optimize adoption and consistent use. And of course, as always, we're going to touch on the role of policy and standards as well. But before we jump into our discussion, I'd like to have Jocelyn briefly introduce herself and tell us what she's excited about today's podcast. Joss? Awesome. So happy to be here. Jocelyn Keegan, I'm our payer practice lead. I focus my work on a day-to-day basis, really in that domain between payers and providers. Super excited to have Kyle here from Arrive. Pooja said, we've been following the team for a number of years and excited to hear about the work that they've been moving, moving us towards more transparency, more automation. I think it's some of our most complex workflows and for really patients that need care the need to get access to their care the most. I spend my days um, doing strategy and consulting work uh, within within this domain, primarily on the medical side these days. So excited to sort of pop back in to this world that sits in between pharmacy and medical um, and hear about the progress that Arrive is making. Great. Thanks, Joss. Now let's greet our guest, Kyle. Um, Kyle, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's great to see familiar faces and be on the show. Uh, so Kyle Kaiser, CEO of Arrive Health, part of the original team. I'm in year nine uh, on this journey. My uh, background's been early early employee at a couple of digital health startups, mostly payer oriented in value. And then before that, worked in the employee benefits world. So you know, worked with as a wholesaler for payers, calling on brokers, understanding employers' problems, those sort of things. But that's you know more than nine years ago now, so it's hard to remember anything but real time benefit at this point. Great. So I'd like our listeners to understand a little bit more about Arrive Health. So can you talk a little bit about your mission and focus and who your customers and partners are? Yeah, absolutely. So it all starts with the patient and provider relationship. So that's that's inspired by one of our co-founders. who's a guy named Dr. Kevin O'Brien. He's in Denver, still practicing. 
this was all inspired because Kevin's mom came to him and said, you know, I've got this out of pocket spend that I'm struggling with like any son with the skill set to do something about that. He looked at her meds and found opportunities for her to save, reduced her spend by half. That inspired him to start doing that within his clinics. So, you know, V1, RX Review at the time, pre-arrive health, was just Kevin's aggregation of his own ways to help people save on their medication that he was doing in his clinic, not because he was getting paid more, not because he, he was, you know, in any value-based agreement or was incentivized to do so. It was just he started to observe that if you write prescriptions that you intend for people to take, they should probably be able to afford them. And so that was the, you know, the genesis of, of where we've come from. That lives on today in a bunch of interesting ways, but the one that's probably most vis uh, visible is this mantra we have uh, called Lucy Up. And so that's because Kevin's mom's name was Lucy. And so we use this all the time with each other as a team and even sometimes publicly. It's like, that's, that's how we lift our eyes to the mission. Everybody's got a Lucy. Everybody has somebody in their life or they were that person in their life that, you know, had an experience with the system that didn't make sense or they couldn't understand or they couldn't advocate or they couldn't afford. And um, so that's why we all show up every day and think that the, the most leveraged opportunity in the value chain is the patient and provider relationship. If you look at all of the distinguished effort and sometimes graveyard of digital health solutions. They all struggle to know how to engage with patients. They struggle to get access to data. They struggle to understand the context of the intervention. And a lot of those things resolve when you empower a patient provider in real time with the right information. So that's what we spent the life of the company trying to, trying to do and what we'll continue to do in the future. Right. So it sounds like, I mean, you mentioned you'd been with the company for almost nine years. It sounds like kind of the vision and the mission and really haven't changed uh, in all those years since you've been there. The focus has been consistent. The how and the capabilities and the customer base has, has moved and shifted, but the vision has remained the same, which is ultimately at the, we can improve the value of healthcare by connecting patient and provider with the right information at the right time to drive the right decision. Right. All right. So let's shift to the topic of the day. Uh, one of my favorites, price transparency. So there's been more policies related to price transparency in recent years, which has really spurred um, a lot of progress. Right. And, uh, you know, especially some more visibility on um, the challenges, right, the patients face, like you mentioned, around affordability and, you know, really trying to understand how industry can help smooth out some of those pain points. So I'd like to start with uh, just kind of your thoughts around, you know, where we are currently in making price more transparent, you know, what's positive and what are some opportunities for improvement that you think we should be focused on kind of in the, in the short term for our industry? Sure. It seems like benefit check's been a bright spot, truly. Like it's something that's scaled. It's something that seems useful. It's something that providers want. It's something that patients benefit from. There's a there's a good, strong value proposition for the risk-bearing entity and those that represent them in the case of PBMs. And so, you know, to me, real-time benefit has absolutely been a success story. And so, you know, we're proud of that and happy to see that continue and start to shift directly to consumers, which is super important in our view. So that one feels like a win, truly. I think there's still a lot of work ahead on medical benefits. There's still a lot of complexity there in, in the, the make it work category. But I think there's a huge opportunity there, obviously. But, but benefit check seems like one of those that was the timing was right. The capabilities were there. The willingness was there. And we've seen some scale of adoption as a result of it. 
Yeah, that's great. So, Joss, I'd love to get your opinion on this. I know with Da Vinci and, you know, we talk all the time, right, about the things on the medical benefit and especially, you know, specialty medications. Um, But, you know, we also talk about prior authorization, right, as part of this whole umbrella, as well as I know Da Vinci also has a price cost transparency. So kind of throwing a lot of different things, but we'll let you know. Yeah, no, I think it's a a great segue. And I think Kyle, I'm dancing as fast as I can over here. But it's funny, (laughs) right, because I think we're really impatient because we think RTBC has taken so long, taken so long. But when you take that step back and actually look at it, like it's doing good work, right? You guys are doing good work to create that transparency for providers and also increasingly for patients. And that is game changing. And I, I think if we think about sort of a, when we started prior author over on the Da Vinci side, I used RTBC as an analogy a lot to explain to people what we needed to get to and that price had to be part of the puzzle, but the conditions weren't there yet, right? For people to have the appetite to tackle price um, on the medical side. And um, we've had a little bit of a, I'm going to use the word gift in a pejorative sense from our friends in Congress actually passed some legislation to deal with, you know, uh, surprises for patients, right? The cost uh, that people get unexpectedly. And I, I love the Lucy app, right? Because we all have a price story. We all have a place where, where we got a bill we didn't expect um, or that something costs or we couldn't find out how, some, how much something costs. And your point, Kyle, I think is so important around, you know, intrinsically getting the information in front of the payer and the patient at the right time so that people can make decisions about their care that they can afford, right? That is part of the world that they're going to be able to operate in is so incredibly important. So with DaVinci, there's um, about four guides. If we string them together, they get to comparable workflows that you would get from real-time benefit check today, uh, just because of sort of the separation of activities that happen over on the medical side compared to a dispense event, right? Um, from a pharmacy perspective. And so um, we've got uh, we've got the work on patient cost transparency, which really at its very core is just saying to a patient ahead of a service, what is the cost, your cost going to be for this service? And then uh, similar to what RTBC is doing and what the prior authorization transactions on the NCPDP front do, breaking down prior authorization on the medical side into three steps, which is, do I need to do a PA for this service that I'm trying to get for my patient or this compound or infusion I'm trying to get for them? If I need to do it, tell me what the medical necessity rules are. Actually expose the actual documentation requirements that are needed. Um, so that we can start to surface that in workflow for a patient at a provider to be able to see or the patient team to be able to review in advance of being with a patient. And then if and when I need to do it, how do I automate that? How do I actually make that prior authorization automated? Um, and we've, we, again, you know, to the bright, bright spots point, you know, we're seeing um, not for meds yet, um, but for some surgical med surge stuff, we're seeing pilots out in the Northwest with uh, Cambia and the multi-care team and MCG where they're literally tripling the number, three to four times the number of prior offs they can get done by a team in an hour uh, for things like uh, weight loss surgery. And it's, it's sort of dumb, stupid, right? Like if you put the data in front of people, if you pull the data that is in the EHR out, we can get to automation and we can get people to their care faster, right? So I'm actually really excited for people to pick up these guides and use them on the medical side as well <laughs> to really prove out, you know, how can we, how can we cut down the ridiculous wait times people have to their, you know, their specialty meds today, right. By just yeah. picking up tools that are emerging um, and being able to use them. So Kyle. I even, that's always the double-edged sword with, right. with even standards and those things too, because there's, there, we've had some success with real-time benefit, but there's so much opportunity to make it better. 
and to improve the, improve the content, improve engagement, improve the analytics, improve the price itself, improve the speed of the system. And so, you know, we want to keep digging on those things and we're learning so much and now have this scaled amount of data to where we can pretty precisely understand these things that I guess the point is like, never stop it, never perform to the standard. The standard is an enabler to drive value right. for patients. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and as an industry, we sort of get caught in that, like, well, we did the thing that the government told us to do, so we're done. And the truth is like, there's so much opportunity and real-time benefit that we've done beyond the sort of spec. And if you just work to the spec, then you miss specialty as an opportunity. You don't have the ability to do the data exchange between EMR and claim system in a way that actually targets the complex meds and not just the simple meds. And so I don't know, I guess the, the overarching point is that this is a is a good tailwind for the industry. But from our perspective, it's this relentless focus on how do we improve something for a actual patient and enable their provider to do so is always got to be the focus and can't, you know, we can never waver from that because ultimately that's what's going to make us continue to build better products over time. Yeah. And, and, you know, we always say standards like the base, right? I mean, you've got the standard, it allows you to exchange the data, but what can you build on top of that? So I do want you, Kyle, to talk a little bit about how you guys approach that, right? Like how you design your tools, how you roll out these types of solutions, you know, because we're, we always say, right, we're these recovering product managers. So we kind of know it's, you know, it's not easy, right, to get these tools out in the market, but also get providers using it. So I'd love to have you dive in a little bit on that, those topics. Yeah. Well, so at a, you know, maybe an esoteric level, it, we were incubated within UC Health uh, in Colorado. We come from a provider DNA, you know, founded by a provider, come from a provider DNA. We were sort of brought out of the, uh, our infancy through a partnership with UC Health. Uh, and then have sought providers as investors. So Providence, UPMC, UC Health, Freighter, you know, Presbyterian New Mexico, and several others. We've we've pursued that specifically because then they become the living laboratory with whom we could develop product. And it's so hard to do this in any other way if you're not shoulder to shoulder with those provider organizations trying to solve the problems inside of their EMR system or inside of their ordering system of whatever variety, and you know, or their pharmacy management system, whatever it may be, for whichever use case that that's what's required, like having that level of access and that ability to collaboratively work with not just your users, but also with those who need to put hands on keyboard to enable you and the organizations and understand the value that will motivate customer two through 10 and not just solving customer one's problem. So at a high level, the most important thing we did was maybe really strategically aligned with health systems and provider organizations, because ultimately if we're not solving those problems. Doctors aren't going to use it or prescribers aren't going to use it. Uh, if we don't understand the value prop really well of that health system, they're not likely to adopt it. And, um, and even in the cases where we've had, we have, you know, direct EMR relationships, those were initially compelled because we were working with the customers of that EMR. And so it, it really came down to that at, at the outset. Uh, what that enables is, has been in the early days, we would literally go over and observe utilization at UC Health, drive back down to downtown Denver, which is where we're based and put hands on keyboard that afternoon to make changes to the product. I mean, it was that tight of a collaboration loop and some great guidance from Rich Zane, who's on our board and chief innovation officer at UCL of just, you know, at the end of the day, the standard was it has to be easier, not harder prescribers like that. It was just that simple. And it, it was uh, it's good coaching to either have those clear, definitive organizing principles that you got to solve for because it's easier said than done. Uh, especially when you don't control the UI, you don't control the systems, you don't even control, you know, in a lot of ways, you don't control the content because you're dependent on PBMs to deliver it. Yeah. 
So you know, we often describe ourselves as not too different than a, an ad exchange network. Like if you think about ad exchange networks have platforms on one end and usually like, you know, social media sites or Google and then supply side inventory and you're matching those two things. And the benefit check's not a lot different than that, right? right. There's supply side inventory or connectivity and then there's demand side utilization of prescribers. I don't mean to equate it to that level, but it is, you know, at a technical level, that's, it's more or less the same. The shoulder to shoulder provider partnerships have been, you know, you can't overemphasize how important those have been to us. I love that. Joss, anything you want to add here? Well, as we know, I'm a self-proclaimed UCD, UCD <laughs> junkie. I mean, if you're not listening to the end user, what are you building and why are you building it, right? We did a really good job of building things that don't have end users in mind in healthcare. And I, I love, Kyle, you said in a different way what I say all the time, right? Whatever you build, it has to be as good as, if not better. If it's not better, then why am I changing? I may have put together a very manual, hacked together process, but if it works and I can trust it, I'm going to keep doing it until you give me something better to do, right? And I think that that's incredibly important. Uh, we know that providers on a daily basis are trying to push boulders uphill, right? Like they're just not solving the business problem that they have, which is at a given point in time, I have a patient in front of me and I need to work with that patient to figure out what their care plan is going to be and how they're going to sort of get through whatever this episode of care is. And if I don't have all the information, if I don't have that transparency, then I, I can't give them the advice. Um, and increasingly, I'm seeing in conversations the inclusion of the patient to be able to share and contribute to that decision-making process so that same equitable information being available for the patient as it is for the provider is critically important, right, for us to really, I think, get to the, the end game, which is people on therapies or solutions that are going to actually make them healthier, right? That's what we're all after. So I think that, you know, keeping this, you know, keeping the, 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 that person that's putting the hands on the keyboard or even removing the need for a hand to touch a keyboard, doing full automation, um, you know, should be what our goal is. And if we're not doing that, um, then I think we're doing something wrong. And it's, you know, Kyle, it's, it's great to hear sort of, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know the history of you guys being founded from a, from a provider standpoint. And what I know about you, that, that totally comes through and it's obvious that you're really thinking about that. How are we solving the, the, the end user's problem, not, not lightening the load necessarily for other actors sort of in the, uh, in the workflow. Yeah. I couldn't agree more on the patient. That's, that's absolutely where we're headed. Yeah. We, we, we made it. Yeah. We made an acquisition uh, at the end of last year or beginning of this year of uh, a technology from UPMC that's automated patient outreach and enables the care team to do automated patient outreach to the patient and, and our intent is to make that a natural extension of real-time benefit because it's not just, it, it's to your point about it's got to be better, right? Like today, the way they're solving that problem of access inside of a health system is they're making 40 phone calls an hour and just trying to get people on the phone. So if we can start to enable some of that through sort of AI-driven two-way communication with the technology and then queue up only those patients that really need an encounter with the farm tech or pharmacist, that's our goal. Um, and ultimately that enables and empowers the patient with a care team member as an enabler and reduces the cost for a health system to operate that pharmacy, reduces the cost for them to, you know, get the right patients on the right meds and ultimately drives revenue margin for them, which is required. Because if, if you can't do that for a health system customer, they, they can't prioritize it, right? Like at the end of the day, they can't work on it. So that's right. definitely where we're headed. I yeah, think this point about using the phone calls for the patients that actually need a phone call that you need an intervention for and skipping or automating the things that don't require actual outward to a patient. I mean, I, I think about sort of the madness that we live in, right, of the backrooms of nurses 
mm-hmm. basically working on all this administrative burden as opposed to actually doing directed patient care, right? That's game changing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it just absolutely. ties into, you know, adherence and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's certain people that you do have to reach with a phone call versus others that, you know, will be fine without one. So great. Totally. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about adoption. So um, we touched on this a little bit about, you know, if you, once, every time you introduce a new tool, right, it requires a change in workflow. And, and so to Jocelyn's point, Kyle, to your point, right, if you have to make it simple, you also have to make it better and easier than the original way of doing it. And we've seen, I think, too many times where, you know, we say, okay, we're going to build it, they'll come. And then when they don't come, there's this perception, right, that the end user didn't need it or they didn't want that information, whereas in reality, you know, it it either, you know, added too much time to the workflow or, you know, it just, it, it wasn't easier or simpler. So, Kyle, can you talk a little bit about adoption and what you guys have seen um, and what you guys do to kind of, to help that uh, adoption of the tools at all? For sure. So, um if you think about it as a funnel, mm-hmm. is that first thing that needs to happen for anything to be adopted is got to get to the top of the funnel. And so what's difficult about real-time benefit is the EMR and the claim system speak different languages as it relates to meds. Uh, and the only thing that comes through the funnel in any real consistent way are pills and capsules that are usually lower cost meds with known standard quantities and units of measure. And so as you step even a half a step out of that into things that really matter from a patient out-of-pocket cost perspective, you know, self-injectables, creams, inhalers, all those things then the tool fails in its standard form. So our competitors tools who haven't gone the level of, you know, doing all of the extra work to make real-time benefit work 99.9% of the time. The reason that doesn't work is because of it, you you have to build a tool that has clinical intelligence into it. We've built it in a way that it's, uh, we describe it as intelligent interchange because it's a learning model because it's uh, the problem's different in every place you walk into. Mm-hmm. And because it's, you know, how they set up their drug compendia or, you know, whatever collection of problems that exist in, in all of the ways that those things were set up. So first things first is you fill the funnel with opportunities successfully. And so I, I can't emphasize that enough because if you only fill the funnel with low cost medications, you're only going to impact low cost medications. So we've done a lot to make sure that we're we're generating a 99% success rate inside of our tool right now, which is with all of those complicated things. And And it is like, decidedly unsexy. It's just doing the grinding hard work to make sure that that works every time. And our clinical team is exceptional at it. And they, they, uh, uh, and we've built some, some great automation into the tool that allows it to happen in, in a scaled way. But I, I really one day want to be able to answer that question with some reference to LLM, but I can't today. It's just, <laughs> this is just laying the plumbing to make this thing work. But right. so step one, step one is, um, is around just that, right? Successful transactions at the top of the funnel. Uh, step two is around alternatives is that, you know, because we come from this provider oriented model, because we've had this mandate of it's got to be easier, not harder and, and something that providers trust. It's got to work every time. There are little things about the alternatives that are, uh, we don't often control the alternatives that come back. Right. Uh, when when that's true, we need to make sure that we're some level of check and audit system that we're only putting things forward that are are relevant alternatives that are in clinical context with what we understand with our users. So we spend a lot of time on that because the minute you send something that's a 
a 90 day alternative for a antibiotic or an opioid, a provider's going to go, this thing's broken. I'm never paying attention to it again. And so we spend a lot of time making sure that we're only putting things forward. And those are, those are kind of the unintended consequences that you can't really get to until you turn it on and ask users and, and do it at scale. Because I think from a supply side perspective, you can understand why they build the tools these ways, right? Is that you build it based on the rules and plan design. Uh, but inside of clinical context, it changes a little bit. So we pay a lot of attention to all those things. We spend a lot of effort, energy, and, and time making sure that we put forward things that are trustworthy, reliable, accurate. Uh, we had a great anecdote from an EMR partner of ours that we just recently went live with. I think it was actually the CEO of the company was written a prescription inside that EMR showed up at the pharmacy counter and it was the exact same to the penny. And he was so like, so excited about it that he sent an email to us and was like, you're not going to believe what just happened. Um, so uh, that was awesome. But you know what? That's actually really impressive because I don't think I've ever heard that it was exact, right? So that is Yeah, it was a it was a win for sure. But yeah. And um so anyway, to the adoption metrics. So we've seen um, you know, as high as thirty-two percent PA avoidance. Uh, that's in some of our more successful PA relationships. And it's there's there's probably not a more controversial and hated thing in healthcare than prior off. And so to the extent we can help a third of those not happen, I think that's good work. And we've got customers that are seeing as high as $225 per patient savings. That's um, amazing. That's, that's because we're targeting those higher cost meds. We're not just targeting those lower cost meds. That, you know, in some cases translates into a plan savings of over 400 bucks. Or, or and, groceries for somebody for the month. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? Yeah, and, yeah, that um, is impressive. And, and, you know, I think at a population level, we've even seen about a 4% increase in adherence for STAR conditions. So wow. diabetes, high cholesterol, hypertension, all those things are triple-weighted STARs. They really matter to Medicare plans. And we're seeing, a, you know, 4% improvement in adherence over, overall in some cases, which are just massive success stories, right? Like if we can yeah. do that at a scaled level, that really does move the needle. Yeah, that's really impressive. All right. So I'm going to switch topics again. Uh, we have to touch on policy and regulation of this podcast. So um, so my next question is going to be around kind of standards and, and what's going on there. So I think we chatted a little bit about this in the prep that, you know, recently the Office of National Coordinator put out a, uh, a proposed rule for certification. And within that rule, there was this RFI, right, asking about real-time benefit check and certification requirements. And, you know, last week we were at the NCPDP annual meeting, and there was a session on real-time benefit check. And one of the questions that came up is, you know, it's very hard because, like you said, you know, the CEO, the EHR, of, you know, he actually wrote a prescription, but then every EHR is a little bit different, right, in how they actually implement it. So I'm just curious, um, you know, one of the things that we have started to think about is, you know, it, should there be some standardization, right, around how things are displayed? I mean, you guys do all the work of making sure alternatives are, are accurate, things like that. But um, any thoughts on response maybe to that RFI on certification of these tools and, you know, maybe making it a little more consistent from EHR to EHR? Can I go in a slightly different direction? Yeah, absolutely. Because even upstream of that, there's still going to be a problem. Like if we if we standardize UI, if we standardize data exchange, if we created consistency on that end, there's still one massive problem. Mm -hmm. And it's 
the liquid access to eligibility is that in order to successfully perform a real-time benefit, you got to first be able to identify who the patient is and what health plan they're associated with. And right now we see about 40% of the time in EMRs, it is either completely unavailable or wrong. And um, there's a bunch of reasons for that and probably many reasons I'm not going to comment on publicly, but that's the biggest opportunity is that there's, there's a huge opportunity to intervene um, in that 40%. Even in that 60%, there's probably a more accurate way to, to deliver that. And so I think eligibility is the first and most important problem to solve is that we have much, uh, much more liquid access to that across the industry from as many places as it is available or possible to be available from, because I think that could make a huge difference in the adoption and the success of real-time benefit and enable the consumer-facing opportunity in a big way. Because I think is if we do if we shift too quickly to UI and data exchange, which are good and well-meaning targets, because I think what we're trying to accomplish in both of those cases is how do you improve adoption and increase value, and good and noble and important. But I think the first problem we got to solve is eligibility, because that'll that's the biggest thing to increase value. Yeah, who's I want to dive in here because I think yeah. this is a really important point, and I think you know especially where Arrive is living, right, which is really in between where all these carve outs happen. And I think that in recent, you know, um, industry research that we've been doing, uh, you know, d- just the explosion, not just on medication, but across really the benefit package itself. And Kyle, with your background, I know you'll appreciate this, that the amount of carve out that is happening mm-hmm. and the inability for our existing 270, 271 infrastructure at a level of granularity to really surface at that service level, that activity type the level of granularity around ownership of who who is managing and owning that benefit, I think is outstripped sort of the industry's ability to be able to deliver that. And I, I think there's a couple of important things just sort of going back to the RFI pieces. I think really helping people get to the same level of understanding. You know, we are, we are in the sea sort of solving these problems, right? Ahead of everyone else. Um, the nuance of all of that, right? That it's not whether something's on PBM or medical or maybe a specialty carve out, there's now 14 or 15 different places that those services, those benefits could be getting, getting sort of, you know, managed out of different organizations, different API endpoints. Um, and I think reckoning with that, I think is really important in understanding as we move into APIs and the ability to really have these different service layers that the, that we need sort of that maturity to be recognized that, that that data needs to be real and right. And I'm a hundred percent agree with everything that Kyle said. I, I think this idea of, and you got to it with your point of like going above the standard. I think that ONC really understands this concept of standards of advancement. I think that we sort of like talked till we were blue in the face over the last couple of years around, you know, set the floor, but don't tie people to the floor. Yeah. I think that we're shifting. And if we think about policy from a place where the feds are telling us what to do, or the states are telling us what to do to industry driving and innovating like arrive is and like others are. And so the regs and the policy become the floor getting pushed up, but, but the, 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 it is a strategic advantage for these individual orgs that are picking vendors to, you know, deliver on the value to their patients or to their member populations to be doing more than just the minimum bar, just what policy or reg requires them to do. And I think that, you know, that we're starting to see, I think, healthcare behave like other industries from that standpoint, but really understanding you know, the right data at the right time, you know, and, and making those endpoints and the tools to serve those endpoints up um, more available for everyone, I think is, is going to be criti- a critical part of Thinkware of, 
where our counterparts on the federal side can really help enable us continuing to lift that floor up. The only other thing I would add in there is, you know, um, when Kyle's talking about sort of the stats they're seeing around avoidance of PA, mm-hmm. transparency is the key to success here, right? If I know what your plan pays for, then I'm going to pick something that is going to work for you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to push into something if there's, you know, equivalence, right? Basically from a, from a content perspective. And so we're seeing in those early pilots that are coming out of the Northwest on the medical side, literally 70% of the events, activities, not needing anything, prior authorization. Um, and then when they need to be automated, big chunks getting automated in real time because the clinical data is there in the record to be able to support it. And then a smaller portion actually review, you know, requiring sort of that human review or manual review. And I think that that like literally that ability for us to sort of get that, you know, week out, you know, and, 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 and be able to just call sort of just the complex cases that really require additional, you know, human labor, I think is, is going to be our key to success, but, but it's, you know, we've all looked at the pictures, right? It's a death of a thousand paper cuts right now. And uh, the more that we can sort of thin out that higher up, I think starting up um, where Kyle's talking about, which is just tell me who owns the benefit. And so I can get started in the right place is a huge first step. And and, totally. and the rest of the workflow normalization, I think will come along with it. And I don't, I don't think you could actually find a, a more broadly applicable health equity issue than patient out of pocket. And so yeah. because of living in the benefits world for so long, and literally like this was my dad's vocation too. So like when I got in trouble in school, I came home and stuffed enrollment packets. So like living in the benefits world for my entire life, yeah. I've been hearing about the, the ascendance of deductible health plans for my entire life. Yeah. And we're now, we're just now getting to the point where we're saying, you know what, we should probably help people understand what things cost if we're going to ask them to pay thousands of dollars. Yeah. And so from a political will perspective, and it, which seems like it's probably pretty relevant to our friends that are regulating these things, you can't think of a more important thing to solve, right? Because right. that, you know, we were, e-prescribing 1.0 was really well suited when deductibles were in the hundreds, formularies were simple, mm-hmm. co-pays were tens of dollars. Yeah. And we're in a world now where deductibles are almost comprehensively in the thousands, probably multiple thousands. Formularies are unbelievably complex and carved out in 19 different ways. And that, you know, patient out of pockets in the thousands of dollars in some cases, and even into the millions of dollars for some of these new therapies. For And so the capabilities to support those patients have to keep up because we've, we've been lagging a decade behind shifting the cost onto the shoulder of patients. Yeah. I love to hear you guys both though, because to hear, right, how Arrive is, you know, you're avoiding those PAs, right? And then Josh bringing in your side of the, you know, with the, the health plan and the providers. I mean, that's the end to end. That's the whole picture, right? You want right. to be able to avoid those PAs, you know, and you want to have that transparency, the information, and you want to be able to automate it, right? If uh, if something does have to be done. So you guys give me some hope. <laughs> we're, we've been talking about this for a long time, but we're starting to see pockets of improvement. Yeah, the, tool, the tools are there. It's real, yeah. right? Yeah. You really yeah. can solve these problems. You can you can yeah. bend those curves and you can, you can literally save people time, right? And yeah. get them what they need for service. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like we could keep talking all day. Kyle, this has been so fun to catch up, uh, you know, and like we said, I mean, we've been kind of following what you guys are doing, but it was great. Thank you, Jocelyn, my co-host and partner in crime. And really, Kyle, we're just uh, really excited to have you and, and be able to share with our listeners, you know, what you guys are doing. And so thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Adish on Health IT. Um, just a friendly reminder to our listeners that you can find us on 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to pick up your podcast. Um, we're also on Healthcare Now Radio and the podcast channel as well. Um, and one last thing, we post longer versions of uh, the podcast in the video format um, on our POCP YouTube channel, uh, which is also on our website. So thank you all for joining us. Um, and especially as we move into summer, uh, remember that health IT is a dish best served hot. So thank you for joining us. Is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at pocp.com to learn more about our new interoperability outlook subscription monitoring service. 